Hi, everyone. Shannon Tipton here. And today we hosted a Learning Rebels Live with Rachel Burnham, who, by her own words, helps people use visuals and drawing to think, learn, and work better through sketchnoting. Now, sketchnoting is the art of telling a story through visual representation. Many of us have seen Rachel's work in action, but today I wanted to get to her story. How does one take a life dedicated to volunteerism, being a public policy advisor, and a full career in L&D to discovering the passion of art and sketchnoting? It's a really interesting story, and we must first kick off that story with her kitchen fire. Intrigued? I hope so. Let's get to it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Learning Rebels Live. I am thrilled today to have Rachel Burnham with us. And Rachel graciously hosted a Learn Something New for the Learning Rebels community here a while back. And of course, she she gave us some great inspiration about how to turn our doodles into something fabulous and meaningful. And it was a wonderful conversation. And I thought, you know, how can I continue to have fun conversations with Rachel? And also to learn more about your journey specifically, because I don't know a whole lot of L&D professionals who woke up in the morning and said, when I grow up, I want to be a workplace learning professional. That's what I want to do. It doesn't usually happen that way. And you've kind of, you've got a twist to your journey. And so what I, I just would love to learn more about that. But first, I'm going to hand it over to you to give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do. And I know that you are across the pond. So thank you for joining us during what might be tea time or cocktail hour, depending on your beverage of choice. And also there's an interesting story as to why you're sitting where you're sitting right now. So I think that would be interesting to share as well, if you're willing to. It's lovely to be here, Shannon, with you. And I really enjoyed working on the sketch noting workshop last time. So I'm a learning and development professional. I've been in learning and development for 30 years plus. But then, as you say, I had this little twist and I, I sort of took a, a bend in the road and um, I started sketch noting. And that was about seven years ago. And as a result of getting into sketchnoting, which involves combining words and very simple pictures to make rich pictures to capture notes and for summarizing information and for all sorts of learning and thinking purposes. Because of that, I've moved and, and slightly changed and specialized in helping people to make good use of visuals to aid learning and thinking and working. So now I spend a lot of the time drawing and getting ink on my hands. Today, you're very lucky I don't have ink on my hands, but very often I do, which is often why I wear really bright colors because it's so easy to end up with a bit of ink down your front. So I'm based in Manchester 
and I work for myself. So I've, I did originally work in house and I'll tell you a bit more about that. But then about 22, 23 years ago, I went independent and set up my own business. And I've been working as an independent with my own consultancy all that time. The, the business has gone through a series of transformations. And then the most recent one is to make more use of visuals. But I had this very unfortunate thing happen about six weeks ago, which is I work from home and I was taking a lunch break with my son. And suddenly we, the power went off in our house and we discovered we had a fire in our kitchen. Fortunately, we were able to get out of the house and nobody was hurt. And the fire brigade, we had two fire engines. Oh my gosh. To put it out. And they were there very, very quickly. I, I can't tell you how brilliant they were. But as a result of that, today I'm coming live from my parents' house, which is not very far from us. We're down in the uh, conservatory, which they have very generously loaned for loaned to me so that I can continue to work <laughs> from their home, from their home. So that's, that's where I am. I'm in Manchester in England. <laughs> First off, I'm glad that everybody is okay. And as I said, I suppose that's one way to get your kitchen remodeled, but not the ideal way. But I think that just goes to the power, right? The power of working from home and being flexible and adaptable and being able to pick up and do your work wherever you need to do your work, right? Absolutely. So I've, I've now got all sorts of key things here. I have to say, mostly felt tips. I didn't realize I had quite so many different kinds of pens, but I was <laughs> Yesterday, I was doing some team facilitation yesterday, so I, ha I needed a whole new kit because it wasn't sketch noting pens, it was pens for writing on flip charts, so I had a whole different kit. So that, that was a lot of fun yesterday, working with uh, that team. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also working with your, you know, working with your parents in the background, do, do you have mom and dad bringing you lovely treats when you're working? Are they looking after you? I do get additional cups of tea. But the other thing that happens sometimes, my parents are retired. My dad's, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's 87, but he still works. So from time to time, we're actually sharing the same working space. So he's bringing his laptop in and uh, we're working alongside each other. So that's a whole wow. other experience because he's a church minister. Um, so although he's retired, he still does a lot of uh, services. So we each prepare sessions, different kind of learning sessions, oh. but he t does a lot of storytelling. That's one of his key skill areas. And he writes stories. He's done a lot of broadcasting actually over the years for the BBC. So he's got a whole skill set around storytelling. He doesn't use visuals, but it's interesting that we've both got this interest in helping people to learn and reflect. And we, we use different kinds of storytelling techniques, but wow. it's still storytelling. Yeah. That's wonderful. That is really wonderful. You know, to be able to share a different type of quality time with your, with your parent <laughs> like that. Yeah. And I imagine, <laughs> and I can just imagine, you know, like you said, it's a different sort of storytelling, right? But I'm sure one sort of, one does enhance the other. And I'm sure it makes the stories that you're sharing richer, right? Because yes. you're able to share these different techniques, even unconsciously. 
we actually, you know, have shared tips over the years. You were asking me about my mentors, and I'd have to say that my dad is one of my mentors. Over the years, he's always had a real interest in um, supporting people who were coming new into his professional field. And I remember as a child, so as a teenager, he would be working from home and he'd be running an action learning set for new ministers and getting them to share their experiences and the challenges that they were facing and to work together. And as a, as a teenager, I'd be responsible for bringing in the teas and coffees and supporting <laughs> that. So that was my first contact actually with action learning sets was seeing it happen here at home. But I also remember him coaching me actually. The first committee I ever had responsibility for was a, a voluntary role again within my church. And I remember him giving me some help, some advice, some tips about facilitating meetings and bringing people in and encouraging people to participate. So over the years, we've, you know, we've had many different exchanges about all sorts of things. The nice thing is, he's also asked me for advice. And you know, that is such a lovely thing. There are some challenges he's faced in his workplace and he's drawn upon my HR experience mm -hmm. to explore how he might handle that. That's just such a lovely thing. And it's so it great is. that he felt able to ask me. And, and so I suppose I've, we've done a bit of reverse mentoring as well. What a wonderful serendipitous event. You've got fire, not good, but able to share this space and this time Right. Time is so precious. And being able to share that time with your father like this, that's just amazing. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And that leads us to, <laughs> you know, really giving us a little bit of a background about your story. Yeah. So I suppose I got started in our whole professional field because I studied management at uh, university. And as I mentioned, I'd, I'd already been volunteering. But while I was studying at university, I continued to volunteer, both within my church, and that opened out a whole set of opportunities within a wider youth body. So I got involved in the British Youth Council while I was still at university, and I started to get involved on the board for that national youth representative body. And that got me involved in applying some of the things I was learning about in theory. So how to manage people, working as a team. But I got to do it because I was part of that, that committee. And then after my, when my degree, I'd completed my degree, I actually became the chair of that organization. And that was a full-time role, almost like a kind of internship. So mm -hmm. there was um, a small sort of stipend to cover your living costs. But I got to do all sorts of fantastic experiences, working with different groups of people, from senior professionals, working with lots of groups of young people, supporting them and enabling them. So this was where some of my skills in training were developed. It wasn't within an organization in a traditional way, but it was about helping people to learn and get involved in activities and also understanding the policy framework for training in the UK. So at that time, we had a lot of youth unemployment and we had a, a national youth training scheme that was rolled out. And I got the opportunity to be on the advisory board for that youth training scheme and see 
how some of those things worked at a policy level and what the funding arrangements were, what the, some of the political pressures were, which sometimes pulled in a different direction to what might actually work most effectively in terms of developing the skills that were needed on the ground. So that's always given me a really big interest in public policy and how that fits with what we're doing within individual organizations. The other thing I got to do at university, I'll just finish this off, is okay. I, got, I got to be involved in what we have in Britain, our student unions. So bodies for students who are studying, and they often offer all sorts of uh, social facilities. So I was at Aston University in Birmingham, and we had this fantastic student union building with halls. We, had, we ran three bars. We had two restaurants, a cafe. Oh, my gosh. A travel shop we shared in responsibility for running the nursery for students and staff. And we also had a share in some housing. And I got onto what was a committee in there that was responsible for managing those services. We had professional staff as well. But again, this gave me this opportunity to be practicing management at the same time of learning. And I think that was a very significant learning experience for me how important it is to be doing, not just learning in theory. Right. Oh, so true. Any L&D professional who has any sort of business acumen is going to better be positioned to help their organization because they really have a more robust knowledge, a more holistic knowledge about some of the challenges that organizations face. Absolutely. I remember, you know, very detailed conversations about what kind of services we should be providing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we had a, a place that wasn't really working and we had a lot of discussions about what kind of service would best meet the needs of the students. There was pressure for another bar, but there was also, we were thinking about diversity and inclusion. What about all our Muslim students, for example, and all those other students who weren't drinking alcohol could we create a space? So it brought in a lot of those conversations. Now, later on in my working life, I went to work for a very small charity called Leaving Home Project. And one of the things I, I did there, it was very, it had a very interesting work structure. It wasn't a traditionally managed organization. So we didn't have anybody who was the manager. Everybody had an operational role and a management role. Okay. And those management roles could change. So I worked there four years and I did two years alongside my operational role. I did two years of managing people and doing HR practices and then two years of finance and fundraising. And that was so valuable. I have to say, I didn't love it, but it, <laughs> I, I draw upon it all the time. I mean, to have that so often in L&D, until you become, often until you get into a more senior position, you don't get that hands-on experience of putting budgets together, of costing pieces of work, of understanding the hidden costs that are there, all the things that have to be included within that. And I think if you can get that experience, particularly if you can get that experience early on, it's so worthwhile. Even if it's in a very small organization, I have to say this was not a big organization, but the same insights, it gives you some questions to ask. It gives you some things to be thinking about, and it makes you aware of how 
within learning and development, we can add value. We're not just a cost. We actually bring value to an organization. And that's a different way of thinking. And, and often people don't have that in our field, unfortunately. Absolutely. A lot of L&D people, they don't have that sort of financial experience or that backbone, right, of, of coming in. And so some of them may be sitting here and they're listening to you right now and they're like, well, that's all great. And that's if you're in a learning leadership role, you might have, you know, the ability to learn those sorts of important business acumen competencies. What do I do? If I'm not in that position, so what would you advise a person listening right now to say, how can I get that sort of insider knowledge? Well, I think one thing is build relationships in the organization with people who do have those responsibilities, build relationships with the finance team, get to find out what's on their agenda, what's on the agenda of of more senior managers in your own function, but also of operational managers. Another way of getting the experience is to volunteer. I've found all the way through my career, I've had this sort of strand of volunteering and that's opened up different kinds of experiences. Then that's brought additional insight to me, to my professional work. And I'm, I'm still involved in volunteering now. And it's both an opportunity to stretch yourself, take on additional responsibilities. But I think it often also gives you the chance to try out things that you can't do in your work. So some it could be taking on finance responsibilities. It could be trying out things perhaps in L&D that you can't do with your, in your own organization because they, they haven't got proven value yet. They haven't been done. So I one of my volunteering roles more recently has been within CIPD, which is the professional body in the UK for HR and all the people professional elements, including L&D. So I was chair of CIPD Manchester, which is the local branch here. It happens to be the biggest branch, I think, in the world, actually, um, oh. for CIPD. One of the things that I did there was I, I before I became chair was I led on L&D. And I've had the opportunity to try out all sorts of different ways of running um, learning events and working in different sorts of ways adapting ideas, playing with things, testing things out. So for example, I used to run an, a series of events that we called L&D Cake Camp. I love to get a bit of cake in there, you know, into a session. And we ran these in coffee shops. And rather than being speaker-led sessions, these were, we sat round tables. It was very conversational. And what we did was we brought in people with experience locally. So they weren't big names. They were people from local organizations and they were doing a little bit of something that was interesting. So it was a really nice way to get a diversity of people sharing experiences, things they tried out in their organization, and they were a little bit different. So we themed them. You know, we might have one that was looking at how do we evaluate and we'd get lots of, you know, three or four people with a different story to tell, a little different practice, some of which will have worked really well, some of which might have been a bit, okay, that bit worked, but that bit not so good. And they would share those and people would chat on the tables and they'd just get 15 minutes, 20 minutes 
with that table. And then we'd get those people, those presenters to move around. So they'd circulate round. And all the while, people would be having a cup of coffee and eating cake and lots of conversations. It wasn't at all a presentation, but so much inspiration and um, focus on what's good. But the other thing for me was it allowed us to have a much broader range of people sharing their experience. You know how you go to some of the big conferences and even today, often it's white, male, middle-aged speakers. And sometimes that's the whole panel or the whole range of speakers, pretty much. But with this, you could have a whole range of different voices going on because you've not got that expectation that people have got loads of experience. So sometimes people would be saying, well, I I don't feel I've got very much to share or I haven't got that experience. But this was something that you could, you know, you could have a go at doing and and build experience. And we'd get that, that benefit of all those diverse sets of experience. So I think volunteering is such a wonderful way to broaden out what you're doing. Absolutely. And I love how volunteering is such a big part of your journey overall. There's just so much that we can learn. I volunteer at the Career Counseling Center, and there's just always so much that you can learn, you know, from other people who are in different positions or are at different points in their lives. Those stories just are so very helpful in building up and moving forward. Now, here's where I'd like to learn a little bit more about your individual journey. So now we've got this wonderful and very rich backstory. How did you get there to here? How did that happen? You know, well, clearly there's an interest in storytelling that's in your background. It's a strong part of your background. But how did that merge then into what you're doing now? Well, what happened was I mentioned that I was working at this charity, Leaving Home Project. And this charity had the aim of preparing young people for leaving home. But we were a very teeny tiny team. When I went there, there was only two of us. And we were aiming to cover the whole of England and Wales. So that's a lot of ground. So we had to adopt strategies. And one of the strategies that we adopted was training. So that's how I started training. We also adopted a strategy of curating resources. Um, So it's very interesting. Even before I'd heard this term curation, I'd been involved in curating resources. So we'd gather resources from all the different organizations that were doing anything related. So stuff on budgeting from banks, campaign organizations around homelessness, and we would have, we had this resource bank. It was a physical resource bank in those days. And then from that organization, I went into a more traditional learning and development role, which combined using my management degree and my experience in face-to-face delivery of training courses. But the interesting thing is because at Leaving Home Project, the reason why we adopted training was to get other people involved. So I always had this real focus on not training for the sake of it, for the sake of learning, but actually to generate action. And, you know, I think that's quite an interesting one because I'm always obsessed with performance. You know, in modern learning, we, we're very clear now. 
actually we've got to be thinking it's not about learning for its own sake it's learning to make a difference to the performance of organizations to the performance of individuals to teams and actually that's why we'd adopted training it was only a strategy to do that anyway from there i went to work within a, another charity but i was in-house and i was training our staff and um, working on that eventually they made me redundant. So I became an independent. Okay. And that's why, that's why I became independent. <laughs> that's a lot of uh, stories, I think, for consultants such as myself is like, well, here I am. Now what? Yes. A lot of people, I think, have a very um, flowery and rosy picture of being an independent. Oh. And, you know, so many people <laughs> in our field want to work for themselves. Actually, I didn't have that idea because um, my husband, he worked for himself. And actually having two freelancers in a single home didn't feel like a good idea at all. But I kept getting offered freelance work. So in the end, I, you know, I kind of drifted into it. And somehow I've made a success of it. I've been working for myself now for, I think this is my 22nd year. Oh, so wow. okay. I've, I've managed to do that. Now, what's interesting is I, I went into it and I didn't have a sort of unique niche. And actually, that's only come about, I would say, 14 years in. It took me 14 years of kind of making mistakes, doing different things, wow. focusing on different areas. And then I started sketchnoting. Okay. And I know somebody was very interested. How did you move into sketchnoting? What? Right. That's the big question on the table. I actually fell into it for myself, not having heard the term. I was at a conference, a HR conference, and I traveled there by train. And to amuse myself on the train, I'd taken a drawing pad and some pencils. So I got them there simply to enjoy the journey. But at the conference, someone was speaking and I thought rather than take notes in a traditional way, or I suppose I would have tweeted, I would have listened and picked out key points and tweeted. Instead, I got out these pencil crayons and this sketch pad and the person was talking about resilience and they were defining it, the ability to bounce back. And I drew a circle colored it in red, turned it into a ball, did a bounce line, wrote resilience is about the ability to bounce back. Right. And, and, and did a little smiley face. So it was the simplest picture ever. You know, everybody could do this. And I took a photograph and I shared it on Twitter. And I kept doing that through the, se through the session and through the rest of the conference. And I had such a supportive response Aww. from my Twitter followers on uh, people who I was connected with that I just kept on doing it. And I, I kept on doing it, going to other sessions and doing that. And eventually one of my contacts, Simon Heath, he tweeted me in, he said, you know, that thing you do, it has a name. It's called sketchnoting. <laughs> so, you know, that's, I think that's very me that I, I started doing something and I, I learned by doing it. I didn't even know what it was. I just had a go at it. And I think there's a lot of things you can do when you've got that kind of supportive group of people around you who encourage you to take risks. And some of my drawings, honestly, at the start were not very good. I don't have a background in art. Honestly, my art teachers would be 
shocked, appalled, amazed, <laughs> stunned to know that this is what I'm doing. But gradually what's happened is I've done more and more sketchnoting. Other people have asked to learn about sketchnoting and gradually more and more my work's kind of, it's kind of gone in that direction. And, and now that is the focus of most of my work. Not quite all, but most of my work makes use of visuals in some way. That's outstanding. I love the twist. The universe comes calling, doesn't it? And it says, <laughs> you have a talent. You need to explore that talent. And to do it with an occupation that you feel passionate about, that's, you know, that's hitting the lotto, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've tried to bring to sketchnoting is my understanding of how people learn and trying to really think about how sketchnoting can be used alongside what we know about what's effective. So what's the research telling us, particularly from cognitive psychology, about what is effective in learning? What's the evidence for what works? I've tried to connect that and make sure that what I'm doing actually, it's got a sound basis for it. So as well as just trying it out and playing, it's also about connecting with what the evidence is and really trying to understand that and, and not over promise. Sketchnoting is a wonderful tool, but it isn't the answer to everything. You have to use it alongside a lot of these other things that we know about, like having a focus on effective performance, like paying attention to what supports learning transfer, all of these other fields. You can't just use, there isn't one thing that's a, a wonderful tool on its own that will solve all our learning problems. There aren't, right. there aren't these silver bullets. The magic wand. Yes, no, absolutely. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was, but there isn't. So we have to do the work to understand how it fits in. I can see I'm being asked what's the difference between sketchnoting and mind mapping. And I would say the thing about sketchnoting is it's more flexible. There aren't so many rules within it. So there's lots of different styles of sketchnoting. And within a sketchnote, you can combine flowcharts, uh, cartoons, uh, you can be more diagrammatic or you can be more illustrative. And that makes it a very flexible way of communicating, particularly complex information. Well, you have a sketch note for us. Oh, yes. I was in preparation for today. It's a very simple one, this. I was thinking about my own, I suppose, career path. And I just started sketching that out. I do this, actually. This is my reflective journal. I do little reflections, not every day. I'm not you know, I'm not, I don't get up at 5.30 in the morning to do all those wonderful things that people talk about. But occasionally in the morning, perhaps over a coffee, I might take, you know, 15 minutes, just do a bit of reflecting and combine words and pictures, a little bit of a diagram, just to reflect on it. So that was me. There's the house, the Leaving Home Project. Um, you can just about see that. You can see some pens coming in. I can't, I can't point on the camera. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. There, 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 there's there. some pens coming in. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about that is the visual of the, you know, the loop-de-loop, -loop. you know, yeah. here, here we go. And the unexpected that, that comes around 
And that's what just really makes for a life that is full of interest and full of stories and allows you to, you know, absorb what's around you for one, but then it opens up the world for what is it you really want to do? Yes. You know, and, and have that sort of fulfillment, I suppose, in your life. And I, and I can tell that with you whenever I see your work or whenever I talk to you, you know, the joy in what you do is just so evident. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be there where she is at. And so what kind of advice would you give, you know, to others who are, who are like, oh, I, I just haven't found my passion. I wish I had that joy. I don't. One of the things for me, and one of the things I wish I'd learned earlier, when I was working within an organization, it, particularly my first job that was a, a real learning and development role, I was the only learning and development person. And I learned a lot and I tried out a lot when I was doing that. But now I look back and I think, I wish I'd had access to a wider network. I wish I'd tapped into mentors in the professional field. So I, I'd really encourage that. One of the things that really opened things out for me was when I first moved on to social media. What happened was I'd gone back to study uh, at a local university. I was much the oldest in the class, in the group. Mm -hmm. And lots of the um, lots of the other students were using social media. And I was also at that time a facilitator for professional qualifications for people coming into learning and development. I was uh, running courses for people who were doing the CIPD qualification. A couple of my, my students, so this is where I had, I learned from them, introduced me to Twitter and I was a bit reluctant. And so <laughs> one person ran a session and I, all I did was I, the, in their book list, they'd included Jane Bozoff's book, Social Media for Trainers. Mm -hmm. And I, I bought that and I started reading it, but I still didn't put my foot in the water and get on Twitter. And then another one of my students, so I brought took that book along to a mm -hmm. session and she before we'd even started the session she'd been looking at it and she tweeted Jane and <laughs> by the time we had coffee mid-morning Jane had tweeted her back and as a result of that I went out went from that session and I thought wow that was powerful you know so so actually the whole reason I got onto social media was because Jane Bosoff re responded <laughs> to it's all Jane's fault I have to say it's all Jane's fault it's all Jane's fault <laughs> but but I got onto social media and actually I'm quite an introverted um person and I found it's so much easier to build a network of people through Twitter and now I also do Instagram and of course use LinkedIn and um, Mastodon and all sorts of things but that really helped me to come into contact with a much wider range of people including Simon Heath who I mentioned before and Doug Shaw who and because I saw them using art in learning development that laid the pathway gave me, I suppose, that encouragement to share my pictures when I started sketchnoting. And then that's changed my life. But being opened out to a whole range of people. So I think a personal learning network is such a powerful thing. 
And, and then I think another thing is playing and having a go at things and trying things out and, you know, taking a bit of time to just experiment a little bit and pilot things, small scale pilots, which sometimes will work and sometimes will go completely flat and be, you know, who knows, but you, you need to try things out and then think in our context for this challenge that we're working, will that work with, with that? It's not about adopting everything, but you need to know what, what the possibilities are, you know, is VR, what's going on with VR? What's happening with podcasts? What's what's going on with all the, there's so many different tools that we could use, but you, you need to have a bit of an idea. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to be an expert yourself, but you can, within your network, have people who are right. experts in those. And then you can go to them, you can learn from them, you can find out how best to use those. And then you've got more choices at your fingertips. So it's not about doing, you know, this choice or this or this, but being able in different circumstances to pick different things out. So playing and having that personal learning network, so important, and then piloting stuff. Through all three Ps, actually. All three Ps. There we go. Yes. We got the three Ps that we can can end this conversation or continue (laughs) the conversation on. I love the idea of just finding people who are interesting to you, right? Yes. Finding people who are interesting to you, who are doing interesting things, reach out and find out what they're all about. Talk to them, ask them. I find that this community is very generous of spirit for the most part. And if you just reach out, they'll reach back. Absolutely. And, and you, you don't know whether that, where that will lead to and you know, what, what new things that can open you up to. I'm just launching a new podcast which we're trying for a, a, a subscription model. I'm working with the wonderful Andrew Jacobs and we're, we're working on this and we're, we're calling it the Not Just a Podcast podcast because <laughs> we're alongside the, each podcast that we produce, there's going to be a sketch note. Nice. And, um, and then we've got different levels of subscription. So there'll be a live experience and opportunity to have one-to-ones either with Andrew or myself. And, um, you know, this is a, this is a new development, but actually Andrew and I first met and became colleagues and uh, uh, worked together because I responded to a tweet from Andrew. I mean, I'm probably going back now about, again, about seven, eight years. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we wrote, uh, each wrote some, a blog on a, a piece that, an article that Andrew found. And I did a, a, one of my very early drawings in response to that. And now, can't believe it, now we're working together on that. And that we're launching on the 5th of April. So if you're that interested, so find out more. <laughs> I'm very excited about that concept. Andrew's always been a great supporter of Learning Rebels, as is yourself. And I do appreciate that. And Andrew, you can always, you never know with Andrew. And that's the fun bit. You know, when it comes to talking to Andrew, you just never know where the conversation is going to go, but it's always filled with wisdom. Well, you know, on that note, we do have uh, Rachel's information. So you can reach out to Rachel on on the Twitters. 
you can find her there or <laughs> Instagram or connect with her on LinkedIn if you want more information about her journey into L&D or advice if you happen to be an artist, you know, or you're looking to level up your visual designs. And I know that she would be willing to, you know, offer a piece of advice or two. So thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. This was fun. I learned so much from you and I'm just in awe of your journey. So thank you for sharing that today. That's been so much fun. And I, I never guessed that we'd end up talking about the fire and then mentoring from my dad as a, <laughs> as a, as a starting point for this conversation. So You just never know. You just <laughs> never know. The universe called. I had to answer. <laughs> Thank but you. Hopefully I'll see you. Will I see you at Learning Technologies? Yes, that would be lovely. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Until next time. Until next time. Well, there you have it. Rachel Burnham, storyteller. I don't know about you, but I could listen to Rachel all day, every day. Her story is just so intriguing. And as most story goes, there was an unusual twist. I didn't expect for her story to start off with the conversation around her kitchen fire. But when the universe calls, we have to listen. Now, while the fire isn't the why behind her whole story, it certainly was the catalyst to help tell it. The moral of the story here is find something that gives you joy and build on it. You never know where those steps may take you. Now, how can the universe help you build capability and to strengthen your overall relationships? Well, discover the Learning Rebels community in the links below. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.